An uplifting jobs report has given the market some mixed feelings. Household debt is all-time high despite inflation. And a new report from the New York Times' Dave Ramsey calling several universities, and I quote, freaking idiots. Your market moment starts now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, episode 130. I'm Lee Mackey here with Eli Freeman and David Lee. We kicked things off this morning with what should sound like good news, but actually had a negative impact on the market. The November jobs report was released last Friday with much better than expected numbers. Payroll additions were higher than expected, as were average hourly earnings. But the market was mixed on Friday and started down today. Why? Because job gains and wage growth are in a way the opposite of what the Fed would expect to see as it continues to battle against inflation. Here's a couple notes to keep in mind. The Fed had previously signaled it may lower its rate hikes next meeting in a couple weeks where they're expected to raise rates by another 50 basis points. The last four rate hikes have been by 75 basis points each. The jobs report data, non-farm payrolls increased by 263,000, almost 63,000 more than was expected. The unemployment rate came in as expected at 3.7% and the average hourly earnings month over month increased by a little over one half of 1%, which also was a little ahead of expectations. Okay, guys, um, Eli, David, you know, we've seen time after time where, you know, the market, you know, gets bad news or bad reports, and all of a sudden the market goes up. We see things that should normally be good news, and the market goes down. Why do you think we're continuing to see that, either one of y'all? Well, the Federal Reserve wants to see that what they are doing in the open market, raising interest rates, is effective. And right now, as long as reports continue to be good news, so unemployment being low, wages increasing, uh, inflation staying high, that, that would be a bad on both fronts. As long as they see these things, it's bad news. So we, we want to start seeing the economy start to slow down because that would hopefully in turn be mean that inflation is starting to go down you know now the one thing to keep in mind is that you know rate hikes david have a lagging effect i mean six to nine months i've even seen some as far as a year so you would think that the rate hikes that occurred in the spring early summer of 2022 are now beginning to take effect and and i think we're beginning to see that but i think that you know, over the last four or five months, they've raised rates by 300 basis points. I think those will most likely begin to be felt in in the spring of next year. Yeah, hopefully, right? Yeah. So that, what's the saying? Don't fight the Fed. The the Fed is absolutely based has really been the driving force in where the, this market has been going over the last certainly over the last year, and and until we uh, see the Fed stop that rate increase, it's going to continue to be the driving force 
in the market until that happens. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, Lee, hopefully we'll see that by spring. But uh, you said you just said they had raised rates over what three hundred basis points mm-hmm. since this started, and when they first well, start, no, that's or, just in the last or, four, or last just four. in the last four, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what were they initially? They, they were initially projecting seven twenty-five basis point hikes, yeah, yeah. and now it's like I think three times worth yeah. of yeah. what was initially yeah. projected. Yeah. So that's what the market has tried to keep up with. That's right. Is an expectation of X, and really the Federal Reserve increasing at three X. You know, and I think that you know, back a year ago, this or earlier this year, most economists felt like we had a terminal end rate of uh, right around four percent. You know, now many projections are five to seven. And the market just doesn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be one thing if the rates were going to go up, you know, to a high of whatever, let's say five and a half percent, and they immediately start coming down. But, you know, the Fed right now is giving us all indications that wherever we get up to that high water mark, they're going to stay there or remain for a mm-hmm. little while. There's a very small, currently a small amount of evidence to say that the rate heights are working. And that's the most recent couple inflation reports have started to go down. There was one just, what was it, a couple weeks ago now? And as soon as the markets saw that inflation was less than expected, they soared because that's what we're hoping for is inflation to continue to go down. So as we see, as we watch this, hopefully, just like what you were saying, Lee, in the next six months, the rest of these rate hikes are start will start having effect on the economy. You know, and, and the other thing too, and, and, and maybe the Fed is just not taking this into account, or maybe they underestimated is the resilience of the consumer i mean we we are in a very strong economy i mean it's christmas season and yes there's a lot of sales out there but i mean store parking lots are full i mean you go online to shop for certain things and they're out of stock in a lot of these items and so i I don't like i said i don't know if the fed just discounted how strong the actual consumer was but I did see late last week where they did uh, release a report that showed that savings rates are down and debt is up. So, w- which, you know, that, that is typically a, a sign that we're yeah, going into a, a slowing yeah. market and, you know, could be, you know, a potential sign of a recessionary period coming where people have stopped their savings and they're, they're spending that they're putting it on plastic. Yeah, definitely a leading a leading indicator that maybe maybe hopefully you know fingers crossed we're getting close to the end of this Fed rate rate hike, like you were saying earlier, maybe in the spring. You know, another thing I I wonder about. Um, I don't have any data to you know suggest whether this is the driver of it or not, but I wonder how much demographics could be simply playing into the the health of the consumer, so to speak. Years ago, when I was first starting in this business, I talked about how you know, the typical, um, the peak spending per household for a typical American household peaks between 45 to 55 years of age for a variety of reasons. So if you've got that, an increasing number of people in that demographic group, then naturally the aggregate of the, of consumer spending is going to be going up. And birth rates were, have been, we had the baby bus from 1962 to 1973, from 1973 to roughly 1992, birth rates went up every year, mm-hmm. called the echo boom. Well, you put that on a 45-year lag, and you would see that we're right in the now. middle of a time where the peak spending demographic group is increasing in numbers. Yeah. That could also be 
contributing to what you know what we think is the the health of the consumer so to speak just because there's rising numbers of people in that peak group yeah for for all those analysts that listen to our podcast can can someone try and come up with data that proves that, that would, <laughs> i was just thinking that, that we need to get david uh and uh chairman powell yeah. together in a room well, and, get, and, and get and david all, on new york times <laughs> yeah. full disclosure i mean that that what i just talked about there is not my idea or theory i read about it years ago um from a harvard economist named harry dent he talked about the demographic effect of consumer spending over time and uh i think there's a lot to it Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, let's let's turn our attention to household debt inflation does not seem to be hurting consumer demand at all um, like we were just discussing a recent report shows household increased their debt this past quarter at the fastest pace in 15 years credit card debt is one of the biggest factors in that report and one analyst told CNBC he believes that could have some ramifications for the markets into the next year. Take a listen. So the consumer scares me a little bit, as the previous section, segment mentioned. Um, you're seeing you know, credit card levels at, at very, very high levels, uh, cash savings at super low. So the consumer to me is stretched. So I, I think that's concerning. The Fed raising rates, you know, restricting um, liquidity, that typically is not a recipe for increasing in profits. So you know, it's not that we're negative on everything, but there's certainly sectors now that we look for transparency. And there's a lot of sectors that, that concern me with what's going to happen in the future with the earnings. That was interesting. That report also showed mortgage balances being the biggest contributor to the increased debt. On a positive note, the report also states that even though delinquency rates are rising, they're still low by historical standards, which would suggest consumers are managing their finances despite the increased prices as a result of inflation. A couple notes. Total debt jumped $351 billion for the July through September period, the largest nominal quarterly increase since 2007. Household debt stands at $16.5 trillion, with a T, <laughs> dollars. That's an increase of over 8% from a year ago. Mortgage balances rose $1 trillion to $11.7 trillion. And finally, credit card debt rose to $930 billion, an increase of 15% from a year ago, the largest annual jump in over 20 years. David, any thoughts on that? Well, obviously, the, the thing that stands out is the mortgage balances rising $1 trillion. That's, uh, that's the biggest chunk of all of that uh, increased debt. Um, to me, that's not really that surprising because we just came out of this period this very long period of ultra low interest rates we it, it was just uh, not even a year ago where we were encouraging people to refinance their homes right uh, because mm-hmm. interest rates were so low and we thought that they were probably not going to mm-hmm. get any lower well, and so, I, think, I think it was also probably a, a rush of people to get in yeah first time home buyers yeah. mm-hmm. you know getting in on low rates and yeah. locking those in so I'm not too concerned about the mortgage balance, just me personally, about the mortgage balances uh, increasing, because I think that's probably a lot of that probably comes from people uh, locking in at, at low rates back when they were low. Yeah, the household debt, you know, increasing 8% from a year ago. Um, it'd be interesting to know what percentage of that is from the increased mortgage balance. But, 8% uh, was about 1.3, so a majority of it was mortgage debt increase mm-hmm. yeah so i don't i don't necessarily i mean in an ideal world yeah you you want to be debt free but i don't necessarily consider mortgage debt to be bad debt per yeah. se unless you're yeah. in over your head right Correct. unless you're in deeper than what you can afford because there are certain tax advantages and there's economic benefits to the economy as a whole for 
um, you know, mortgages. So, you know, the thing that jumps out at me is, you know, we're our economy stronger than it has been or it's 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 strong. It's yeah. it's in a good it's in good shape. But credit card debt and a 15 percent increase yeah. over a year ago at a at the same time where a lot of Americans had a lot of more had a lot more cash. Yeah. From COVID from and, COVID yeah. and so forth. So, Eli, what are your thoughts? So I have I have some interesting thoughts, I think. And you guys can tell me if it's not interesting. But it, when you think about debt, debt is only bad if you're not able to service the debt. Correct. So if 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 someone has one hundred dollars and they go out and get a thousand dollars of debt, well, they may be able to service it. But if they have a hundred dollars and they go out and pull a hundred thousand dollar loan, well, they don't have the capacity to service it. So when you think of debt, it's only bad if you cannot service the debt. I read a statistic that right before this podcast, it says household debt payments relative to income is near historically low levels. Meaning so that's the servicing of the debt, yeah. it is an increase. Yeah, The servicing of the debt is actually at a it's low level manageable. because of the income levels and the increases in wages. Yeah. So you see these statistics and they look extremely discouraging because you see yeah. these big, vast numbers that, that our minds aren't able to comprehend as well. But at a broad macro level, context, yeah. it, within context, it, it may not be that bad. Yeah. Uh, similarly, you're, we're talking about the increase in credit card debt. 15% from one year ago. Well, one year ago, we still had stimulus in people's mm -hmm. bank accounts. Now that may just be gone and we're back to where we were pre-pandemic. So what they don't tell you is consumers are using only 21% of their total credit. And before the pandemic, it was 24%. That's a pretty drastic increase if you're talking in trillions. Yeah. 21% of their credit to 24. It not as bad. Real numbers, yeah. not as bad. Yeah, and it kind of goes to what I know we've mentioned this several times over the last several months that what we're in the middle of right now is nothing compared to like the 2008 market crash where Correct. you did have millions and millions of people that were in over their head they couldn't service that debt to your mm -hmm. point eli and that um you know obviously caused carnage throughout the entire economy we're not in that situation right now we're not no. even we're close to it really correct the, the one demographic that's really getting squeezed is lower middle and lower yeah, class because of inflation mm -hmm. yep um okay guys let's turn our attention to something that you know some of our listeners may know a little about they, they may not know anything about because it's a rev relatively new yeah i was surprised when i saw the notes on this yeah it's a relatively new phenomenon that's sports betting credit card debt has been plaguing college campuses for years i think all of us when we were in college received you know some college or some credit card applications from Discover and from from various credit card companies. You I, know, I admittedly had a Discover credit card yeah. during college. <laughs> they, they they target college kids. Mm -hmm. yep. Anyway, but according to the New York Times, there's a new temptation that universities themselves are pushing: sports gambling. A recent article states that numerous universities are striking deals with sports betting companies to promote gambling on campus. But Dave Ramsey recently called out those universities and did not hold anything back. Take a listen. In order to reap millions of dollars in fees, universities are partnering with betting companies to introduce their students and sports fans to online gambling. Uh, they sold their students out. The partnership raises questions, however, about whether promoting gambling on campus, especially to people who are at an age when they are vulnerable to develop. And they're broke! And they're under your care! You freaking idiots! Unbelievable. It's disgusting. 
disgusting. Selling out your own students that you're supposed to be you're selling out. for. God almighty, dude. You really ought to have your butts kicked up around your neck and be wearing them like a collar. Um, that's that's quite the interesting soundbite. And, you know, he's not wrong. No, he's I not. I mean, that's, uh, that, that, that ought to be criminal. We, you know? we, we might should have had a disclosure on this podcast if yes. you have children listening <laughs> with you. <laughs> he's never been one to mince words, yeah. and, and he didn't there. <laughs> the New York Times report says it obtained emails from various universities showing some of the terms of a few of these deals. Listen to this, guys. Michigan State University was offered over $8 million over a five-year period by Caesars Sportsbook to promote sports gambling on campus. Louisiana State University, otherwise known as LSU, signed a similar deal and sent an email encouraging recipients, including some students under 21 who cannot even legally gamble, to, quote, place your first bet and earn your first bonus, end quote. At least eight universities have become partners with online sports betting companies, and more are expected. Guys, would y'all like to um, add yeah. your thoughts to that? I think it just, you know, I've all, I believe for a long time that colleges have just turned into a money machine. They don't care uh, about your education. They care about getting their tuition. And this is just kind of the, the most recent uh, kind of proof of that. They don't care about your the the well-being of the students certainly in the case of Michigan State and Louisiana State these uh, universities that are getting kickbacks from these online sports books um, I mean encouraging kids who are you know don't have the greatest judgment typically at that time of your life the frontal and, lobes have and, not fully formed yeah <laughs> and they don't have any money you know like uh, Dave said in his soundbite you know they're they're broke right and they're encouraging them to get into further debt with gambling debts. I mean, it's insane. It is insane. And immoral. Yes. Um, I I think I know why colleges are, are going this route. I mean, it is. It's money. It's all about the bottom line, you know, where their, their expenses are going up. They know that in the next few years, enrollment is, you know, is forecasted to drop at most major colleges. And so these university presidents, these boards – are looking at costs going up, revenue going down. How do they make up the difference? You know, and here comes, you know, MGM Grand and Caesars and, you know, all of these other um, organizations to, to try to fill that gap. So um, it's it's interesting. It's sad. Um, you know, and the, the, the people that get hurt are these 18 to 22-year-old college kids. That And usually it tends to hurt the poor people who can least afford it, right? That's who it really tends to, to hurt the most. Uh, and, and think about it. If, if they're offering Michigan State $8.4 million over five years, so $1.7 million a year, that means that the revenue that needs to come from Michigan State is more than that, sure. more than $1.7 million a year. It probably easily exceeds yeah, that. I don't, I'm sure. I don't have words. <laughs> As we like to do um, with each of our podcasts, we like to end with the thought of the day. And, guys, I think we have a doozy um, <laughs> given our last topic. Thought of the day by Tommy Cooper, a British comedian. Gambling has brought our family together. We had to move into a smaller house. <laughs> Quite very true. Very, very, very true. Send that to your nieces and nephews at LSU. That's, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Join us next week for our next episode of the Mach One Market Moment.
Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit mach1financial.com disclosures.